2-isopropyl 3-methoxypyrazine. You might not recognize the name of this compound, but if you've ever had the opportunity to taste some of the beautiful coffees from the Great Lake region of East Africa, you might have had an unfortunate tango with it. This chemical compound is responsible for impacting annual coffee production from Burundi, Tanzania, Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, and more. But where does this come from? What kind of impact does it make? How do we prevent it? And what do we need to know about it? That's what we are going to dive in today on the Center's Coffee Education Podcast. My name is Tim Hines, and I'm the Coffee Education Manager here at the Center. Thanks for tuning in today. You might not have recognized the name of the compound mentioned previously, but you'd know it by the industry term, potato defect. I remember the first time I encountered this defect, I was preparing a Q-grader exercise with a beautiful natural processed coffee from Burundi. I measured out the coffee into the bowls, purged the grinder, and started grinding. (laughs) Wait a minute. That doesn't smell right. I remember recalling the image of licking the outside of a dirty raw potato. At one moment, I was scratching my head how something so putrid came from something so beautiful, and yet my mind raced with questions to understand it more. As my focus has always been on the coffee producer, I wondered what in the world happened to create this. Was this a mistake the producer made in the processing? Was coffee maybe stored improperly? So I polished off my proverbial diving board and dove deep into the rabbit hole of the potato defect. I discovered that in the last 10 years, there has been quite extensive research on understanding how this defect develops and what are some ways we can mitigate it. I also touched base with a colleague of mine in Rwanda to get his take on the potato defect and the kind of impact it has with roasters. I'm excited to share this with you. As we dive in, let's first take a look at where this defect comes from. There has not always been consensus on the source of this defect. Research goes back to the early 20th century. Theories surrounding this defect development during fermentation or or even storage conditions have been disproven. The overall consensus is that the Antestia bug is the source of this defect. So what exactly is this bug? You've probably heard of the coffee berry borer, leaf miner, or even a white stem borer in coffee production. The Antestia bug is another one of the pests that impact coffee trees. The adult Antestia bug is about 8 millimeters long and is roughly triangular in shape with black, orange, and white colors. It's actually quite a beautiful bug. It comes from the stink bug family, and when threatened or stressed, it releases a putrid odor. They lay eggs on the leaves of coffee trees in clumps of 12 eggs, roughly each about a millimeter in size. The incubation period of these eggs is quite long. It can be almost three to six months, depending on the temperature and climactic conditions. And when newly hatched, if they are not able to feed the mortality rate increases significantly, which keep this in mind as we will reference this again later. This pest is found throughout various regions of Africa as well as Asia. However, they seem to have created a significant impact of coffee focused on the region of East Africa, 
though one can find them outside of this area. The Antestia bug feeds on flower buds, green twigs, and the juice of green coffee fruit, or unripe coffee fruit. In fact, studies have shown that mature leaves and ripe fruits with solid seeds inside are not attacked by the Antestia bug. More on this later. But the question has been posed, how does the infestation by the Antestia bug cause the potato defect to develop? The findings have been mixed over the years. However, recently there has been new research with very interesting results. Researchers first set out to find the chemical compound responsible for the potato defect. Two different pyrazines, which are essentially a class of organic compounds that contain four atoms of carbon and two atoms of nitrogen, have been attributed to this defect. Those two are 2-isobutyl-3-methoxypyrazine, or IBMP, and 2-isopropyl-3-methoxypyrazine, or IPMP, for short. I'll pause while you try and say that five times in a row, because it took me a lot of practicing to get it right. But recent research has confirmed that it is IPMP that, when occurring at elevated levels, presents as the potato defect. However, it was significant that in 2014, Dr. Sue Jackals of Seattle University's chemistry department showed that the increased IPMP levels are from within the coffee seed and not detectable from just the outer surface. Her research analyzed ground samples and whole bean samples to discover this finding. So why is that significant? It showed for the first time that the potato defect came from a change occurring within the coffee seed as opposed to something being attached to the surface. For many who have experience with this defect, they can attest to the fact that a healthy, non-defective looking seed can present as a potato defect. So what occurs inside the seed to develop this defect? There are two main theories that have research supporting them. These are that the defect is caused by microorganisms that can penetrate the empty voids in the cellular structure of the seed, producing IPMP as byproducts. Or the theory is that IPMP is produced by the seed as a stress response to an attack by the intestia bug. A 2018 study by Jean-Bernard Ndiambehe from the University of Rwanda identified that two types of bacteria present in potato defect samples produced IPMP as byproducts and caused the potato defect. These are Enterobacteriaceae and Pentoeobacteria. But do these findings contradict the findings of Dr. Jackals? If we understand that these microscopic bacteria are able to penetrate into the seed due to the openings created by the Antestia bug infestation, then one can reasonably assume these findings are not in contradiction. Researcher at University of Teramo in Italy, Delvana Muturatua, confirmed this through her observations made during her study. But what about the other theory? Dr. Jackal seems to be one of the earliest to propose that the IPMP produced in the seed was due possibly to the stress of the intestia bug. But what about the other theory? Dr. Jackal seems to be one of the earliest to propose that the IPMP produced in the seed was due possibly to the stress created by 
the infestation of the intestia bug. Dr. Joseph Bigramana, an entomology expert from Rwanda, agreed with the possibility of this occurring during his research on insecticide treatments against the intestia bug. Further, Caitlin Kane, a research student with the University of Washington, looked at how during the development of the potato defect, non-volatiles within the coffee seed, for example, O-methyltransferase, or OMT, are converted to IPMP during roasting. Though her conclusions were not concrete, as OMT can also develop IBMP, which has already been shown not to be responsible for the potato defect, it does show that the potential is there for internal changes within the seed to contribute to the development of IPMP and subsequently the potato defect. Whew, that was a lot of science. I need a nap. I don't know about you. So, to summarize what we can conclude, the potato defect is caused by an attack by the intestia bug that creates internal changes to the coffee seed and presents as aromatic and flavor perceptions during consumption. Wow, I know it was a windy road getting here, but I think it's important for us to understand not just the destination, but the journey that got us here. It would be unfortunate to end the conversation here, as now we must turn our focus to what can be done to prevent this defect. I found myself intrigued by the fact that other pests of coffee have spread throughout the world, but it seems the intestia bug has not traveled outside of a restricted area. Not that I'm wishing this devastation on anyone, but the fact of the matter does intrigue me. It does appear that the intestia bug is particularly fond of the environmental conditions of Africa. However, this is not the only restrictive aspect. Remember how we talked about the feeding habits of this pest? As opposed to the coffee berry borer who feeds on the coffee seed, the antestia bug feeds on the juice and softer components of the tree or fruit, rather than on the seed. In addition, the easily detectable nature of the eggs, being a relatively large white cluster, and sensitivity to insecticides are also contributing factors to their limitation. Interestingly, though, research is beginning to understand better the preferable climactic conditions of the specimen to understand how climate change could potentially impact its expansion. In general, as we consider what producers can do to fight against this pest, there are a few techniques that can be used. There are insecticides that fight against the proliferation of the intestia bug, including some natural or organic options. Researchers with Jima University in 2011 showed significant effectiveness of three different essential oils made from local products that were effective in killing this pest. Those were thyme, episode, or Mexican tea as it is sometimes referred to as, and fringed rue. All of these are available locally and commonly used in cooking or even folk medicine. In addition, pruning has been shown effective as increased shade protection has proven to foster intestia bug colonization. Dr. Bigaramana showed that pruning alone can significantly impact the infestation of this pest. It's understandable that many producers might be limited on their capacity to purchase or develop their own insecticides, but this agronomic technique has shown to positively impact the reduction of potato defect. But one of the most interesting findings, well, I guess intriguing findings, was a study from 2018 by Dr. Teresia Nagia from Nairobi working together with Sirad in France, 
identified specific volatile compounds produced by ripe coffee fruit that repelled the Entestia bug. That's right. As the coffee fruit ripens, it produces unique aromatics that serve as defense compounds against pests. How freaking cool is that? One particular volatile, 2-heptanone, showed repellent properties at all concentration levels. This compound is an alarm pheromone that other researchers have found with other insects. The idea here is that this compound could be synthesized for use in traps or even as a spray. Also, what if the production of this compound within coffee could be genetically identified and a new variety developed that specifically increases the presence of this compound? Granted, there is always much consideration that must be given to unintended consequences that could come from developing these things. However, it is fascinating to consider the implications of her research. Okay, so what does this mean for the roaster? I've had many conversations with producers over the years that discuss the challenges with this defect. To be frank, the risk of this defect showing up in the cup of a consumer scares many roasters away. Even though attempts to reduce its impact by floating coffee fruit, hand-sorting insect defects, and even attempting to reduce its occurrence by UV sorting, which unfortunately has not proven to be 100% effective, many roasters have moved away from offering these coffees to their customers. To learn more about this defect from the roaster side, I spoke with Sam Langdon, one of Sukafina's traders working with roasters in the UK. Listen to what he has to share. Yeah, well, I think, I think the first thing, right, people need to understand potato defect. It's not the end of the world. I think people um, overly panic and react quite badly to, to finding a potato in their coffee and their grinders. Um, it's pretty overpowering as a smell uh, once you've ground the bean and um, you tend to notice it straight away. Well, you hope you notice it straight away. Um, but, uh, you know, pe- people notice it and then they tend to sort of lose their marbles a little bit. Um, and kind of uh, do all sorts of crazy stuff um, to try and manage, um, you know, potato beans, should we call them, going through the grinds and into the, into the coffee. Um, really and truly, like, you want to try and stop the bean being brewed. So you kind of need to have your nose about you and you need to be sort of like, you know, sensing what you're doing as you're doing it. Um, there's no real way for roasters to be able to sort of catch um potato defect coming through their machines through their roasters um you know they're, they're, there's no visual difference to the beans that i'm aware of um you know they look like any other bean um so it's, they're not like sours or blacks uh, you can sort of visually pick them out and whatnot so it, it does feel very much like a bit of a lot lottery and um i know that a lot of baristas and a lot of roasters are thus kind of quite terrified of using rwandans and burundis and ugandans and you know even Tanzanians um, for that very reason. Um, although, to be fair, in my experience, the, the, the potato defects have been pretty limited to Rwanda and Burundi and even less, even more so, or less so over the last few years, it seems that, um, you know, agricultural processes and practices out origin have kind of um, improved and um, it, it just doesn't seem as frequent as it did. What I would say, though, to, to baristas, I've said this to several people before and enacted this as a policy um, when I was working, um, running a roastery and the cafes, was, um, you know, if, like I said, first off, not to panic. Um, keep a small sealed tub or bucket bucket uh, near your grinder or near your knockbox. Um, and I'm, I'm talking like, you know, like a margarine tub or like a lure pack tub or something like that. You know, but it's critical that it's got like a tight fitting lid. Uh, 
keep uh, biodegradable bags, bin bags close to hand, um, separate cloths, separate brushes, like paint brushes, and um, keep it all close, man. Like just keep it under the machine or in, in, in the cupboard that everybody has underneath their machine by the grinders. Um, as soon as you smell that potatoy bean go through the hopper, which hopefully your barista is going to smell, it's a case of closing down the closing the throat on the um, on the hopper, going into the grinder, taking the hopper off if you need to, um, grinding all of the coffee that's left in the, um, in the throat of the grinder, so that that's in between the the gate and um, the chute. Um, so grind off all of that coffee. It's it's all dead. You can't you can't save it. I think maybe that equates to about. I don't know, 50, 60 grams, let's say, of coffee. Um, make sure as you do that, um, most people actually nowadays are using electronic grinders, so they're going to have like um, um, kind of like shoots going directly out into the port filter. Make sure at this point you've got you've got your uh, plastic container um, lid off underneath the chute, ready to catch the uh, catch the coffee as it comes out. So literally purge all of the coffee from the throat into this tub and put the lid on it. That's it. <laughs> it's as simple as that. You want to you want to you catch that coffee and seal it away, um, and throw it away in a different bag um, if you can if you can do that. Um, what you don't want to do is catch the coffee and then throw it away into your bin, your regular bin, which is by your machine or by your customers, because you're still going to be able to smell that potato. So it's a case of catching it and isolating it. Um, if if your barista or if you brew the coffee. Um, the process is kind of the same. You still need to shut off the grinder, purge it, clean it. Um, and by clean, I just mean like give it a quick, you know, purge the coffee out, give it a quick brush down and then a wipe with, um, you know, like a dry cloth. Um, and that, that should remove the smell there. But the smell in the machine is going to be a little bit stronger, a little bit harder to manage. And you need to take the puck. You need to get rid of the coffee as well first. Don't drink it. Don't do anything silly like that. I mean, maybe taste it, but it's, um, yeah, it smells as, it tastes as bad as it smells. So I definitely don't recommend doing that. Um, pour it down the sink, rinse the sink, um, get the puck, and then uh, knock it out into the into the tub with the lid. Don't knock it out with your regular um, espresso pucks because it will sit there for you know the next hour, two hours, and um, it will be smelling like potato, and it will throw your senses off completely. What you want to try and do is just like isolate the smell, remove it get rid of it and get everything back to normal as quickly as possible. So if you've got that lingering smell of potato, you're going to spend the rest of the day in kind of like a paranoid state um, thinking, thinking that everything's potato defect. And, you know, it's just, it's it's a downward spiral from there. Um, it's pretty easy stuff. Like we used to have um, these directions printed out and laminated, just uh, stuck by the grinder. Um, I, th I think it's pretty good practice, although it does kind of um, instill kind of um, unnecessary paranoia. In some baristas who are constantly on the lookout for potato, um, you know it happens infrequently. Um, you know, I'd, I'd say from batch to batch, you're looking at, gosh, I don't know, maybe once, maybe twice, if that. You'll find it in, in, in roasting like a 15 kilo batch. I mean, if that actually, if that. Um, so when you're going kilo to kilo on an espresso machine, um, it, it's, it's unusual to find it. Um, but it does need to be uh, dealt with uh, quickly and properly um, when you find it on the bar. You know, they're, they're missing a trick here, really. You know, you're writing off um, two countries' entire productions um, because of um, a small defect, which um, only occurs infrequently. You know, it just seems, it just, it just seems like, um, you know, 
like a, use a sledgehammer to tap in a nail. You know what I mean? It's um, a bit of a dramatic response to it. I think if, if you do um, apply some sort of decent, sensible protocols to managing it, then there isn't really an issue. I mean, one of the benefits of having Rwanda and Burundi on is that you can have fresh crop um, East Africans um, on almost all year round. Um, so, you know, if you, if you want to run like a fresh crop uh, coffee program, by not having those two origins on, you know, you're going to have a few months where, where there's no East African coffee. And, and to my mind, that's a great shame. I had a conversation with Max Valio, who's the managing director for Rawkoff in Rwanda, about their experience. Their team has been working to find ways to identify this defect and be able to eliminate its presence at the dry mill. Even with taking actions to float coffee fruit at the wet mill, sort defective parchment on the drying tables, hand sort, UV sort, and more, their historical incidence rate, though rather low, still remains unaffected. There did appear to be some promise shown by Rezanon, a company that focuses on the use of hyperspectral imagery. However, when tests were run on a large-scale defect identification, the results were inconclusive. Significant frustration exists because this defect is often not a byproduct of an error by the producer or misstep in the process, but simply an issue of bad luck. Yes, pruning techniques can be used to help reduce, but spraying insecticides to kill this pest is is not always an option, both financially but also value-wise for the vast majority of farmers in Rwanda. Furthermore, because of the severe nature of the taste profile of the defect, it is oftentimes handled differently than perhaps Rio, phenol, or other types of defects we find in green coffee. Moreover, Max is convinced that even with potential risk of this defect, the quality and price value for Rwandan coffees remain a fantastic option for roasters across the world. But he has definitely not given up the fight. Shifting focus from defect identification to preventative measures, Rockoff is hopeful that research and projects they are involved with will yield scalable and sustainable tools to prevent Entestia bugs at the farm level. Potato defect poses a significant challenge to producers in East Africa. As more and more producers are seeking to enter the high-value specialty coffee market, the demands to eliminate this defect and or guarantee its elimination abound. I hope through learning more about this issue, we can help educate customers and we can come together as an industry to find better solutions. I'd love to hear your thoughts on your experience. How do customers respond? Do you purchase coffees from these regions? How do you handle the currents? Feel free to drop us your questions, ideas, or comments in the episode comments or or send us an email to podcast at thecenter.coffee. Thank you for joining in on the conversation and learning together with us today on the Center's Coffee Education Podcast. Until next time, keep learning.